0: The destination of this train is North Station.
1: Smart. Looking. Looking for Tatum. Gets it in. Tatum. Takes it. Makes it. Welcome to another edition of North Station Hoops. I'm your host, Nate Georgie. And as always, I'm joined alongside Scott Levine. Scott, I was trying to think of a good intro for you there, but I... I don't know. I didn't have it. Last week, I said handsome, the man, the myth, the legend, whatever. But, Scott, we all know how great you are. Scott, what's up? How are we doing?
0: Y'all, you don't have to pepper me with compliments because talking Celtics basketball is a prize within and of itself, um, and that's what we're going to do today here with you.
1: See, I feel like it's a prize. It's one of those prizes. It's a mystery box.
0: Oh, yeah, which are are my favorite.
1: You spend all this time and emotion. You don't know what you gain. You can get last night's forty eight run, or you know, you could be a under five hundred team with a maxed out salary cap sheet. So yeah. Um so let's get right into that, Scott. You just I mean, we just had a very impressive, I guess, win against Denver. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of it, but Scott, you actually just uh just rewatched it or watched it or whatever. So I'm interested in hearing your thoughts right off the bat. Um because you watched it from a different perspective. You watched the Denver bar- broadcast, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just getting a little bit of a break from uh, uh, more more scale than Mike. I love Mike <laughs> so much. But I just uh, – I, I don't know. I thought it would be funny to watch <laughs> them react to uh, what really was Denver crapping its pants um, at the end of the third and rest of the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, I – so if I rewatch this, if I watch it live, I'm obviously watching the local broadcast because unless I bootleg stream it, that's like the only way because NBA League Pass blacks out based on uh, location, which is stupid as hell. But whatever. Um, if I rewatch, get a VPN.
0: It, get a VPN. That's yeah, what I did yeah. to watch it today. Um, just just gonna I, I, NordVPN sponsor some podcasts, not ours, but uh, if if you guys uh, are looking for a. Wonderful Celtics podcast to sponsor. Hit me up,
1: yes, sir. at Scott Levine NBA. Um, but yeah, when I rewatch a game, I usually choose the opposing team's broadcast because it lets you pick up on other things. And then they're obviously talking about, I mean, they're talking about the same game at the same time, but they're talking about different things within the game, you know, usually more focused on their players. So if I rewatch a game, that's the way I like to go. Um, but well, yeah, Scott, what were your uh, thoughts about the game other than or that run, I guess you would say, other than Denver crapping itself?
0: Yeah, and I don't know how else to say it. I think that it was just comical how many of their threes rimmed out. Um, my favorite was, I think it was, the game was like 87 to 82, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And uh, there was a play where they swung the ball pretty well. Aaron Gordon made one pass extra to MPJ who had a pretty good look at it from the slot and it just went in and out. And then all of a sudden um, someone on the Celtics gets the rebound, kicks it up to Tatum who has, you know, an early transition mismatch against Jokic and just drains the three in his face. And I was just like, that's, and then you could just see um, MPJ, like he he had like both of his hands in his face uh, and Nuggets called a timeout. Um, so I think that kind of symbolized the game for me. It was like a blend of nuggets, just everything going wrong for them on offense. And also Celtics really sticking to their guns. I wrote in my article, um, if you don't find Tatum Tatum for those early transition opportunities, you're leaving points on the board because, you know, as I've talked about a lot, Tatum's games just predicated on finding those little openings, uh, whether it's from three or from mid range for him to rise up or fake and then drive.
1: Well, to be fair, Denver—they uh, absolutely shit themselves from deep. Uh, we were shitting ourselves from deep all game long. I mean, we shot—they shot better than us from three. We were six for thirty-one, they were eight for thirty-two. Um, I think at some point during that run, or not even like I want to say late third quarter, halfway through third, we kind of realized. Um, They have no – even when Jokic was out there, their rim protection was severely lacking. We were getting to the rim at – or not at will because we weren't taking them, but we were finishing everything at the rim. There was very little resistance at the rim, and eventually that clicked and everything was just towards the rim. Part of that was to do with Denver's defense. I mean, they were not getting back in transition whatsoever. I mean, we shot 73% at the rim that game to Denver 64%. We only took 30% of our shots there. But still, I mean, it's a good thing that they recognized that weakness in Denver, throughout in the middle, within the middle of the game, and realized that's when we need to start attacking. Um, we still got some threes up during that run. I mean, Tatum hit a couple during that run, but a lot of it was at the rim, including Tatum. He looked very comfortable in that fourth quarter, getting downhill, and I think that's been a few games in a row now where he's he just looks a lot more. He's not pressing the issue as much, but we can get into Tatum in a little bit. But defensively, I mean, outside of them just bricking everything, how did you feel about the Celtics' defensive performance?
0: I think the uh, best place the best place to start is – I don't know if you saw Daniel Lubovski, uh, friend of Premium Hoops, his article on Celtics' blog about, like, what Celtics were doing specifically to try to slow down Jokic – but it really tracks with what I was seeing. Um, he mentioned how we were just trying to get in Jokic's airspace. You know, Jokic still had 11 assists, but he, um, I think, went like 6 for 15 from the field and uh, really didn't look like he was able to comfortably get into his post game a lot of the time. Um, I think having both Grant Williams and uh, Tristan Thompson as, you know, stocky, uh, well-built guys, um, just kind of jamming him at the point of attack in the post, uh, was really helpful. And I think, uh, it made him into a passer and it put the onus on all the other nuggets to kind of do something to us. And without Jamal Murray, you know, that's a little bit easier to stomach. Uh, I thought, uh, we did pretty good job, um, you know, rotating back line. Obviously we still had Rob Williams or whomever helping if Jokic burned Tristan or Grant and, uh, yeah, I just felt like, you know, maybe I wouldn't be saying this if more of MPJ's shots went in, but I felt like we did a pretty good job plugging up holes once they sprung.
1: Yeah, I thought we defended Jokic really well. I mean, specifically, like you said, Grant and Tristan. I mean, they're both too thick, if, if you will, with two Cs. Uh, guys who can, you know, they're not just going to get thrown around the block like that. He, got, he had Time Lord's number a couple times, but I also thought Time Lord had a couple possessions where, he did pretty well in not jumping on his uh on any of his shots and just, you know, staying home and if Jokic hits a turnaround, you know, twelve footer hook over a seven foot six wingspan, good for him, tip your hat. But I thought he did a good job at times. You know, that's a super tough matchup. We saw what we saw what Time Lord did when tasked with guarding Embiid. I mean Embiid's unstoppable himself, but Time Lord, I mean, he racked up what, six fouls and played like ten minutes in that Philly game. Um, which You know, I mean, I could go on a whole random watch following out. Shouldn't be a thing in the NBA, but whatever it is or this. But, yeah, you mentioned the backline rotations. I thought that was absolutely incredible this game. Like, I've seen the Celtics for the most part of the season are usually that first uh, that first help assignment or that first rotation on the perimeter. They're they're good at. But then when it gets past that, I think it gets really sloppy. They don't know who's supposed to close out. They're, they haven't done a great job at stunting when they need to. But I thought this game was, like, incredible. Like, this was one of the better um, help side defensive games I've seen from them in some time. And I think the defensive switch has maybe finally flipped because uh, we look at this, the last 10 games since the trade deadline, we are fifth in defense. So that's 10 games, fifth in defense against some pro- pretty solid, you know, offensive competition, Denver, Milwaukee, uh, Philly. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm impressed with the defense right now. This is the Celtics defense we thought, you know, that we usually get every year, like borderline top five. Um, so maybe they're here to stay. Maybe it's just some bad shooting luck on the other team. But I don't know. Where are you at with that?
0: Yeah. So to your point, they did post a 96.9 defensive rating for cleaning the glass last night, which is 90th percentile. And I think it's up there with some of their, probably one of their best defensive games. If you like, don't look at like the games against like the Thunder or the Hornets or something like that. Um, it was cool to see them kind of bring their new di- defensive identity uh, against a good team um, or at least play the way they've been playing. And uh that wasn't the case against the Timberwolves. I thought they like oh kind of bled gosh. points everywhere. Um, especially letting them back into the game. And uh, that was a game that I was glad I, I wasn't able to watch live because uh, watching the Timberwolves creep back into it, being down to a team that frankly, isn't very good the whole time um, is kind of like, it, it just kind of, especially as the Celtics are still around 500, it's just not a good feeling. You, you start to question, you know, whether this team has actually figured it out or not. Um, but uh I will give the Timberwolves some credit. You know they have. I looked at it today on Basketball Reference. Um, they have been had a one thirteen offensive rating uh, since March, around the time Chris Finch was hired, and uh, that would be around average in the league uh, over the course of the entire season. Um, so I do think that they have a little bit more zip to their offense than they lead on, uh, but still kind of embarrassing. Um, I thought that Towns in particular, uh, Russell. I, I think that. Sometimes we just don't fully close pockets of space on the arc. And that was a game, you know, you got the five-out Timberwolves where that was a big problem. Yeah, that game was –
1: that's kind of like what the Celtics do. I mean, to be honest, other than up until recently, even though that was two games ago, uh, we had those good ones against Charlotte and Houston. We played down to our competition, I guess. uh, Even at a home game there where we even had some fans, we just – looked very uninspired defensively, better, very, you know, lack of focus. I think part of that – it's one of those games where you're facing a team with a good offense and terrible defense, and you kind of just like – the defensive end, you kind of just like, all right, well, you know, we we know we're getting it back on the other end. I don't know. It's a bad mindset to have, but I feel like those are the kind of games – you know, Minnesota steals those kind of games. Maybe not this season, but Yeah. And you said they had the, what, 113 offensive rating since Chris Finch was hired. I believe – I'd like to see what that is since Cat's return. It's probably even higher. Um, I mean, they have a good – they have good offensive weapons. They have Cat, arguably the best offensive center in the league behind Jokic and Embiid. Uh, Not arguably, he is. Uh, Anthony Edwards has really stepped up recently. Um, They were without Malik Beasley, which probably would have hurt us even more.
0: But – I don't know. That Minnesota game was just... That might be just a bad matchup for the Celtics, as I talked about. Uh, I think a lot of their help defenders are better at like those kind of weak side rim protection plays. And sometimes, like you said, uh, while the initial you know rotations are good, sometimes there can be a little bit of mix-up on the perimeter. Um, now, Minnesota took about 37% of their shots from three that game, uh, which is kind of high, and they made about 39% of them. Uh, both of those are kind of below average in terms of frequency and accuracy for the Celtics to be letting up. Um, some of it was hot shooting, especially D'Angelo Russell down the stretch. Like that, that was kind of like why I still like D'Angelo Russell, despite like, he's you got know, that in him still. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't want to say ice in his veins cause that kind of is a reductive <laughs> way of, but like, that's really what it was down the stretch. Um, he just has this freak shot making, gear to him that few few guys have and uh i know you can point out his like lack of rim finishing or burst or defense or sometimes his like you know good not great passing but like i just never want to completely dismiss guys who have that kind of freak shot making ability and i think towns also has that so when timberwolves are clicking on offense you just see these uh flurry of step backs from both of them um and it's just kind of you're just kind of in a tough spot no matter who you are that's I think why a lot of people were kind of more hopeful about this Timberwolves offense than um the Timberwolves actually have been but I don't know I just still I don't want to close the book on D'Angelo Russell I still think he's a starting caliber player, although he does make sense as a sixth man um, because Rubio works better with the starters and they want to give Anthony Edwards as much rope as possible with that unit. Um, I just, I kind of fell back in love with him as a player. You know, I was really high on him in Brooklyn and I kind of, he kind of fell out of favor with me, but you know, it was a good reminder to see what he's capable of uh, against the Celtics.
1: It's one of those NBA cycles for players where you, I've, I've mentioned it multiple times where, you kind of go from loving them to not really liking them to loving them again. Um, But I mean, in the four games since returning from his injury, he's averaging 24 and five on 41% from deep high volume and 48% from the field. That's good. I don't care how bad you are defensively. I don't care, you know, how much of a ball stopper or whatever you are. I mean, those are good numbers. Uh, By the way, is he still loading? Do you know, or is he like finished that? yet?
0: Well, according to his tattoo, the, it's now a clock. So um, I'm getting mis- mixed messages on that for sure, but I'll get back to you.
1: Uh, I don't know why I asked that. that, was, that I mean,
0: was... I, I, <laughs> I think that that, that tattoo, I, I kind of love it and hate it. Like, it's like perfect, but also it's like so corny <laughs> to have like the, you know, you know, the one I'm talking about. I don't think I've like, seen it. Where is it? Okay. So it's like picture a clock, you know, right now it's 218 on a monday so imagine a clock a digital clock saying two one eight um oh it's digital. in this situation the digital clock is n colon ow in that kind of digital clock uh font and i'm like okay man like i don't know i don't want to like <laughs> so that means he finished loading right it's now I, I guess so but that's been on his arm for a while so i still don't know exactly where we are um i don't know i feel like tattoos are kind of more of a personal thing so i don't want to like be yeah, like hey that's kind of funny that you have that you know yeah uh, i just googled it, it. I more it. If it if it motivates him to score a lot of points then great i just think it's kind of funny um but not as bad as kyle kuzma's 100 emoji tattoo but which is also yeah. kind of cool for him in its own way i like well, it for him
1: well have you seen mike scott mike scott had like a bunch of emoji tattoos all oh over. yeah
0: i like those too man mike scott's yeah. hilarious.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. So, I mean, a couple dubs it here. What are we, three, uh three? What's the win streak at?
0: I, I think probably- uh, it's a three game win streak. Um, I went three and O oh since Tristan Thompson came back into the lineup and uh, it's kind of bittersweet for me. We talked about how he's kind of jammed up the post scores of opposing teams. Uh, and Rob isn't always equipped to do that, but he has kind of taken some of Robert Williams's minutes Now, maybe Robert is just coming back down to earth himself after playing so well against, you know, admittedly worse competition in uh, Houston and Charlotte. Um, But I think that part of it is also, I don't know if it's so much Tristan Thompson stealing some of the minutes for good. I think he played 27 uh, against the Nuggets while Rob played 24. I don't know how much of it is for good and how much of it is just based on the matchup. Uh, if you look at the three games we played since he's returned, he played he got, he got to guard Julius Randle, uh, Carl Towns, and then Jokic. So it's like, I mean, and obviously we could have really used him when uh, Time Lord got in foul trouble against Philly. So it's like, I don't know if Tristan will be playing like 27, 28 minutes a night like he was earlier in the year. Or if this is just a situation where maybe he plays maybe only 20 and Rob plays uh 20, 27, 28, but Tristan gets more minutes in these kind of post-defense matchups.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting pairing because I think they complement each other pretty well based on matchups. I think it's clear, at least at this stage of his career, Tom Lord should not be guarding those really strong, big body, big men who really like to take it to you. Like you said with uh, Randall, um, Jokic as well uh, It'd be like you said although Thompson wasn't available um, They, I, I think they caught each other pretty well and the minutes are actually so Time Lord's last three games in uh, so it's been 24-24-26 uh, Tristan Thompson has been 22-27-18 Thompson only played 18 minutes last night um, oh I must have been looking at the Timberwolves box yeah the Timberwolves game was Thompson with 27 minutes yeah, Time Lord yeah. with 24 my yeah. mistake. Yeah, no, it's it's I like it. I honestly like it. I think Time Lord, like you said, I one hundred percent agree. I think he was very much dominating bad competition with Houston and Charlotte. Um and I think when team like teams can game plan for him now. I mean, they always have. They always know he likes to jump at pump fakes. And if you if you crash the glass, you know, he's not really a box out guy. And I think teams are kind of catching on to that a little bit he'll have to adjust he's still young he's still learning but i'm have no problem with the splits right now because i do think tom lord's been uh he's i wouldn't say he's been struggling but he's been i mean he's been nowhere close to houston and Charlotte, like the way he played against them their teams are just like he's losing track of his man pretty regularly on the glass um He's not always in the right spot right now defensively, which is happens with him. He's up and down that way. Um, but I think at this point, this is the thing back in the day or back in the day, I'm saying like it was 10 years ago, but it, when these moments happen, he would be benched. That's not the case anymore because we can't bench him. So he's going to have to play through these mistakes. He's still going to be getting 20 plus minutes a night, uh, which is good. It's going to let him learn. It's going to let him, you know, get more reps under his belt. Um but I, I I have no problem with the way the minutes are split up. I think – and Thompson's been great since he's been back, in my opinion. I think he's gave us a much – like a huge boost against the Knicks. I thought he played really well there. Um, he's been a plus in every game. I know single game plus minuses mean nothing. But he was a plus 18 last night against Denver. Obviously, most of that coming with that huge run we had. Uh, plus nine against Minnesota and a plus two against the Knicks and three wins. So, he's been solid. He's been grabbing, you know, doing his usual like seven and seven numbers. Uh, but I don't know. I I'm fine with the center rotation as is. I don't think at this point we're ever going to see any, I mean, unless the matchup really calls for, or one of those two are in foul trouble, Luke Cornette. And, uh, I'll say Wagner because you called me out last time for saying Wagner, well, you just said it
0: was such zest. You, you're you, I, you said it like really happy. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you really have you like well, let he's out
1: taking a, charges, man. I was in a good mood. You,
0: you oh. let out. a. Oh, can't even do it. <laughs> it <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I think
1: funny. they're out of the rotation unless it really calls for it.
0: I also like how Grant Williams has been playing there. Yes. Um, and I think he's the important like third piece to that big man rotation as a guy who can play alongside either time Lord or Thompson. Um, because of his defensive versatility both as like a post defender like in that thompson role but i also think despite his smaller stature he's pretty good at contesting weak side at the rim as well Um, you know really disciplined vertical uh contester and really smart in terms of positioning and also you know i think you know his shot has remained to be a thing i still get kind of nervous every time he shoots one um because I'm still scarred from the 0 to 20 0 for 22 start of his rookie year but uh I am starting to trust it a little bit more you know it's not happening that much still shooting them on a low volume and also just like his ancillary passing um and we 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 sound like a broken record when we talk about how you know it's important for the Celtics to make quick decisions make quick passes because um, you know they're not going to get huge advantages created from Tatum or or Kemba. That's just not those guys' games. They're not like mega creators, but they're good creators. But they're not mega creators. So it's on the Grant Williamses and uh, the Smarts to uh, keep the ball humming. And you know I think that both Rob and Grant have been really good in that category. I think even though Rob's scoring potency has kind of fallen off a little bit, uh, he's not getting quite as many duckins, uh, easy shots um, against better defenses, but you know, you still see some, like, skip passes that he throws from the dunker spot or the post that still make you go, oh, right, yeah, this guy's cool. This because Rob, I like Time Lord. Um, and Grant has a few of those himself.
1: Yeah, he... Grant's been basically... Um, the shot has fallen off a little bit, I will say that. I think he was, like, well... not well over, but he was over 40% for a big stretch, and I got it here. Over the last 16 games, he's shooting 28%. Um... So it's regressed a little bit. I think he was in over his head. And, you know, I think he's probably like a 32%-ish shooter from deep, 33%. Um, but I think he's been incredible as well. He's basically turned into, like, he he literally plays 25, 22 minutes and will just get you zero points, three rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block. But it's just – in like, three fouls so rack them up. But he's just, you know – the part of the appeal from him coming out of the draft process was how high IQ of a player he was on both ends Um, just being in the right place at the right time. A lot of that's been, you know, I feel like, I feel like with the way Brad sometimes gives him starts and the way his minutes are, Brad recognizes how, how, how good of a team player he can be. Um, And when he makes mistakes, he, like we've seen it, we saw it last year, we saw it this year where he'll play 32 minutes one night and then the next two nights, he gets DMPs. Um, and I think that just has to do with how Brad sees what he can actually be. Like, he, when he makes a mistake, he wants him to know about it. And he just – he doesn't want to make mistakes because, you know, he's a high-IQ player. You shouldn't be making those mistakes. If you miss open threes, sure, so be it. Um, but he's been great. And he's, you know, the king of absolute thick city. Like, this boy <laughs> is built.
0: Um, yeah, and – you know, semi got some minutes against towns and stood him up pretty well. So I actually think we're well-equipped to deal with these post scores. It'll be interesting tonight against Portland, you know, where they kind of have more of an outside attack, but we'll obviously get to that soon. Um, Another thing about Grant is the mistakes that he makes. It almost reminds me of like, he's not, no, nobody's Matisse-Thibel, but like it's those type of mistakes where he like was trying too much or was like trying to galaxy brain something to the point where he, you know, trips on himself not literally um but he kind of makes it over complicated for himself uh he you know tries something like tries to like slide in and like gets this unnecessary blocking foul like he's he's still trying to figure out the limits to his you know physical profile what he can do what he can't do on an nba court so when i see him make a mistake i'm sure brad uh gets really frustrated because you know they do happen um and it does, can be sometimes costly, but the mistakes I see him make are from like, you know, I'd rather a guy like try too much than make a mistake from like, you know, not caring or not getting involved in the play, which is never just not knowing where he's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's never that for yeah. Grant Williams. Um, so I really, I don't know. I'm just encouraged. Like I, I, you can kind of see him learning on the fly and then all of a sudden he becomes makes these great strides as a player, and it's, it's, no, it's no wonder why he was giving himself effective practices to learn and fail.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think that brings us perfectly into – well, I kind of want to talk about the rotation now because all of a sudden I think we have a pretty solid 10-man rotation. I think once the playoffs roll around, it's going to cut down to eight. But if you look at the starting lineup as, when healthy, probably Kemba Smart, Brown Tatum, Rob. Um, with the back five being probably Pritchard, Langford, Fournier, Grant, and Thompson um, with, you know, maybe some spot minutes in matchups with Ogilvy. Um, And that's probably just about it. But I think all of a sudden we actually have a pretty, you know, 10 guys I relatively trust. I trust Pritchard and Grant a little bit less than the rest, but I think it's looking pretty solid right now.
0: Yeah. And, That was something I had to remind myself uh, and watching, you know, Langford play is it made me kind of, I thought I would miss not seeing Fournier out there a lot more. Maybe if we didn't win these three games, I would have. But I think he's doing a lot of the things I like to see from Fournier on offense. Um, Now, it's a matter of whether people are going to respect Langford's three. Uh, He, if he can set up that, three to where you have to close out. He's great at putting it on the floor and, um, driving to the rim or making the extra pass. Uh, I think that's what differentiates him from Aaron Neesmith who you know yes. has shown a lot of signs as a rookie. Um, but you know, I think, I like to think, and this was my thing with Niesmith, even pre-draft is like, he's really good at all this stuff that happens, uh, before and during the catch. Right. Uh, he's going to run around screens. He can, you know, kind of, uh, fire up a little bit off balance he can fire up off movement a little bit hadn't quite come to fruition on in the NBA level but I I believe it will Um, and then his accuracy kind of over his college sample was small but was just insane and we started to see him really cook in some minutes for the Celtics but I think where the Celtics need help right now is after the catch Um, because we don't always get Neesmith these kind of looks that he feasts on especially if he's like playing with other second unit guys if it's like Tatum and Bench or Kemba and Bench or Kemba and Smart and Bench it's going to be on him to it, it, we're crowdsourcing the playmaking right now um like I said last episode we're crowdsourcing the driving and kicking where it's not all one guy who's doing it so uh, the onus is on whoever is out there to continue the play um and I don't really think Neesmith has the poise to put the ball on the floor and make the correct read in in, in the split second you need to. Whereas I think that might be the selling point almost with Langford's offense right now.
1: I a hundred percent agree. That was exactly what I wanted to talk about in terms of Langford is they're very different stylistically uh, Langford and Neesmith, but they're not being used differently. They are not using Neesmith as a movement shooter at all. Like very, they're using in the same way Langford's being used right now where Um, you're just being asked to attack closeouts to hit the open shot, um, and stuff like that. Crash the glass. I think they've both crashed the glass a ton on the offensive end. Um, I guess that's kind of been their instruction out there, but it's, it's night and day difference when you compare how they're being used in their roles right now, Langford and Neesmith. You can see how comfortable Langford looks attacking closeouts. He had one last night, um, against or yesterday afternoon against denver where i think i believe it was monte morris closed out to him on the corner he pumped drove by and took a wrong-footed floater but looked extremely comfortable doing it off the glass didn't go in but you can see i mean that that was part of the selling point of lankford he has in the short mid area around the rim um he's got incredible touch and incredible feel uh for how to get a shot up and he's got a nice soft touch um And he's done that in, you know, about the five games he's played. He's done that in just about all of them, attacked the closeout. He's been missing all these little flutters, which kind of doesn't help my case here about his touch and feel. But you can just tell how comfortable he is doing it. When you look at Neesmith, he attacks that closeout. He's 90% of the time looking at to kick right back out. He's not really looking to go up with it at all. Um, I think he's had some really wild takes where he just doesn't look comfortable. And that's not on him. I think the Celtics aren't using him correctly. I, you know, he's just being out there asked to make spot up threes or attack closeouts. And theoretically, you hope Neesmith was hitting spot up threes, but he wasn't really. Um, so, you know, I, it's, you can see the difference, even defensively, too. I don't think Langford's a stud defensively, but let's say you're in a matchup with Brown or Smart, they're in foul trouble. Langford can kind of plug the holes on the defensive end at point of attack defense. He's not going to lock up a guy. But he's got good quickness, he's got good energy, he's got good length. And we saw it last year in those games where he always gets these uh, Matisse-Thibel-like blocks when he's chasing the screen. He's really good at fighting through screens and staying with the play, trailing the play. Um, And he gets a lot of blocks that way. He had a couple blocks already this season from weak side rim protection. Um, And just, you know, adding a real rotation NBA player in Langford has really helped really helped our offense. Cause he's just been, he's been so good at attacking
0: closeouts. And also with his defense, I mentioned how, you know, he does make those weak side uh, blocks sometimes, but you know, there was some elements of his off ball defense that are, were missing when I was scouting him at Indiana, like the, you know, thinking on his feet, knowing, Oh, this is a blown up play. I can't follow a script. I have to scramble and make the right decision. Um, I'm seeing more of that as every game goes on. I think he's a very fast learner. Um, and there's, he looks, he does, I just haven't been able to see many instances on defense where he looks lost. Um, I think he's actually, actually he's, he's actually become kind of a cagey defender in some ways. Uh, I loved when he, at the third quarter of the Nuggets game, where he took two uh, charges in short order on like pretty much the same play against Jamichael Green. Uh, did you catch that? That it was like the same thing happened twice?
1: Yeah, well, actually, the commentary team had the first one wrong. The first one was a. Tra- oh.
0: Michael Green and then oh, okay, him. Yeah, 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 got did it. You got see
1: it. J. Michael Green's foul on Langford. I don't know. I thought that was over the top,
0: yeah, yeah. That and was Greg a Came much. to defend him, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I think, I think that's a part, maybe a, lit a fire under the squad, um, among other things, but um, yeah, it's uh, I, I like Langford. I didn't expect him to, to like him as much as I did. He, he, he you know, he kind of just seems like this pie in the sky prospect that, you know, Celtics fan had been latching on hopes to. And it's like, all right, let's see him, you know, get on the court first before we uh, jump to any conclusions about how he's going to fix everything. Uh, but he has fixed some things, uh, at least in, ch- in terms of shoring up the back end of the rotation.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, he hasn't played since, I apparently he played, I didn't know this. He. I guess he played in the bubble. I didn't know that. I didn't remember it at all. Um, mainly in the play games he was playing. Once the postseason started, he had like, just garbage time minutes. Uh, but, yeah, he hasn't really played played in an NBA game since August, you know, since August 13th, and that was in the bubble. He hasn't played in a real, you know, normal NBA arena in over a year. You know, that was – his last game was March 10th against Indiana of last year. Um, that wasn't bubble-related. So, it's been a long time for him, and I think he's very – he's looked very good, and I'm very impressed with him so far. And, you know, hopefully – Hopefully he doesn't get some, like, make him missed rotation and Brad gives him the cold shoulder, because I want to see him out there right now. He's looked really well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Jason Tatum, if you will. I know, like, there's no reason to talk about the star player. He is what he is. He's amazing. He's terrific. But I think he's looked really good over the last, I would say. I mean, since the All-Star break, he's been incredible. He's averaging 27, 7, and 4 on 49% from the field, 40% from deep on over eight attempts a game. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me is how the more in control he looks of what he's doing out there. He doesn't, he doesn't feed into what the defense is trying to do. He wait, he picks, he's, he's doing better at picking and choosing his spots rather than, you know, pressing the issue and trying to get to where he wants to get to. He, he's taking what the defense has given him, um, <clears throat> which I think is, which is big. In the last few games, he's really got a comfortable and aggressive getting downhill and getting to the rim. He's shooting 73% at the rim since the All-Star break. Before the All-Star break, that was 63%. Um, and I believe 5% more of his shots are coming at the rim. So he's, he's looked better at the rim. Um, you saw it last night against Denver. He had a stretch where he got downhill and got to the rim multiple times in a row. Um, and in that 53-point game, he was getting to the rim at will. Um, and he's looked bouncier too. I don't know if he's dunking more now than I've seen him dunk in a while, like in the half court, off, off his left foot, you know, right-hand Tomahawk. I he's dunking it. Like he's got, he's good for one near poster dunk a game right now. I've, I've never seen this from him.
0: Yeah. And I think it kind of was in part because of, we're just like, we're playing out in transition more. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're doing, we're crowdsourcing the creation a little bit more. We're, we're putting the onus on our, you know, complimentary players to make do more, to handle more of the passing. Um and that really lets Jason focus on just, you know, getting to his spots and scoring and there's been fewer plays where um, you know, the, the the possession dies out and it's a Tatum iso. Um and I I yeah, I think maybe he's just not feeling as bad from COVID. I know he was still kind of dealing with it through February and some of March, I think. Um I think he's just naturally kind of a streaky player by nature of his game. It's very, it's predicated on making a lot of tough three pointers. um, And that's been a little bit higher. It kind of dipped mid season after a really strong start. And I think that, you know, that can explain a lot of whether Tatum seems like he's on or off is just how many of those, you know, off the dribble threes are going down. But yeah, beyond that, he's given himself other ways to uh, stay afloat value wise just by you know, finding opportunities to get to the rim and get to the line. And, uh, yeah, I think that this sounds like we say this every podcast, but I think his passing has gotten even better than the last time we spoke. Um, I think he's been reliably hitting the right guy at the level of the screen at pick and roll, whether it's a skip pass or, you know, one pass away. And then Mark Mark Marcus smart or someone swings it to the corner. I think that's kind of been the Celtics bread and butter in a lot of ways, plays like that. Um, and Tatum's been a reliably good passer, even when his shot's not falling. So I know that like the perception on him is kind of like shaken around a little bit. Uh, we won't talk about like the ESPN, like 25 under 25, whatever they did. Uh, but yeah, people seem to be kind of souring on him just because, you know, the, the, those, uh, ridiculous displays of scoring weren't quite as there for a while Celtics were struggling a little bit but I think he's going to be just fine and I even I even think we're headed for a Tatum hot stretch to close the season I feel it in my bones
1: it'd be it'd be a great time to get hot I mean he is hot right now I mean I there's a guy I follow on Twitter I apologize I don't remember who it is or what it is but after every Tatum game he's constantly updating Tatum's numbers pre-COVID And then post-All-Star break, combining him in the one and just scrapping that post-COVID stretch he had for a few weeks. Because that month was just, you know, in February. That was a very tough month for him. I think he shot, like, low 30% from deep, low 40s from the field. It was a tough month. It was after COVID. So, I mean, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Um, But, you know, that All-Star break seems like it really, really helped him out. Uh, And I think an underrated part of the All-Star break for guys like him, for young guys like him – it's just feeling the sense of belonging and like you belong there and you should be taking over these NBA games. You should be, you know, it makes them, I feel like it gives a little added boost and confidence to young guys when they make it. But, uh, yeah, you want to get into, uh, this week, what we have ahead here.
0: Yeah. But first while we're on the topic of guys on Twitter, I just want to give a shout out to Efrain Ramos, um, (laughs) who, uh, I've watched it like 20 times. Yeah. Uh, same here. If y'all don't follow Ephraim Carmelo on Twitter. He's, he does our North station hoops artwork. Um, he did the sense and scalability artwork. And, uh, it's this scene from the movie sing, which I actually didn't see. It was like an animated movie about, I guess, singing, um, starring a gorilla named Johnny. And <laughs> there's a scene where his dad is watching Johnny, like play an Elton John song on TV from prison. Um, but, uh, Ephraim photoshopped like Jason Tatum highlights over the screen and, and then and then voiced the dad in prison saying it's Jason it's my son and it was just the funniest shit and I've uh, shared it with uh, a lot of people
1: and- yeah I <laughs> I've watched it so many times I I discovered it last night like way after the fact that he posted it I fucking retweeted it man I replied it was it was awesome and then this morning I think I saw Mark actually quote tweeted so i watched it like 10 more times yeah (laughs) it was just it wasn't just Tatum. i think it was that whole fourth quarter run but yeah it was just funny were coming up it was exactly tatum stuff but yeah um all right so tonight when the time you listen to this podcast it will have been tonight we're recording this monday afternoon but tuesday night at we are at portland 10 o'clock eastern time start on tnt nice nice little uh you still you know what that means. That's a ten twenty start rather than 10 o'clock. Uh, but we're facing Portland. Scott, what are you looking for in this game?
0: I, I, I mostly like the how we utilize the big man rotation. Um, I don't think that – I don't even know if Nurkic is playing tonight, to be honest. Um, I, I, I guess since it's Monday, we won't quite know. I know we had a little bit of a fall against the Heat uh, and did return to the game, but we'll have to see. Um, even so, I just don't think he's been in shape in, in, in himself, what we saw in the bubble last year. I think he might get to that point, um, hopefully for the Blazers he does, but it's just he's still recovering from a bunch of injuries. And so I think you know between Dame, CJ, Norm Powell, um, it's going to be on how well do we rotate out to shooters, how well do we contain penetration, um, and, uh, that's going to really be what I'm looking for just because this is a drastically different matchup, uh, than we're used to, uh, o- over the past week. They,
1: they are a very, very, uh, confusing team, I guess you would say, cause they're 31 and 22, a damn good record. And they have a negative net rating. They are negative 0.1, um, <clears throat> they are sixth in offense, as expected to have a great offense, but they are 29th in defense. Um, I guess he, coming into the season, I mean, you expected them to have a great offense. You expect their defense to be lagging behind. I don't know if you expect it to be this far behind. When you
0: sign Robert Covington, I think you're going to be a top five defense for eternity. No, um, I, I'm actually surprised that their defense is this bad with the signing of Covington and Derrick Jones. I thought that would help them. You know, I, I thought it would help them incubate. Cantor and Nurkic, you know, maybe play them up a little bit higher, not have to rely on drop coverage because you have that such strong backline help defense, but I don't really know how to explain it. Um, According to everybody, uh, Gary Trent is actually a bad defender. That's like the cool thing going around. Um, So maybe he affected things, but uh, yeah, I know obviously their backcourt leaves something to be desired defensively, but I don't, I haven't watched them enough to tell you why either. Yeah, I, I same here. I
1: don't want to just come off and make a guess at it. My Well, my guess would be a lot of it has to do with Narkic and just him not looking like himself.
0: <laughs> yeah, I drafted him third round in fantasy, and I'm not one of those guys who messages yeah. players when they underperform in fantasy. Um, I, I have but...
1: <laughs> him too as well in a league with Evan that I <laughs> kind of auto-set my lineup every Monday and don't really look at it. Oh, Evan just beat me this week. Nice. I just opened it up. Fuck you, Evan. Um. Yeah, yeah, I have <laughs> Nurkic in league as well. My team's decimated injuries in that league. I lost so many guys, but that's beside and the point.
0: What's tougher is I was deciding between him and Sabonis, and in the Yahoo rankings, it was like, oh, Sabonis might drop fourth round because he's valued lower. So I was like, maybe I can get both. Um, <laughs> and Nurkicino, he did really—he was putting up like twenty and twenty games uh, in the bubble. So you know, maybe there is, maybe he actually has another gear that we didn't see, um, and then he's just going to build off from that. Um, <laughs> that, well, I hit him that my hasn't th- been the case.
1: I had the eighth overall pick and I took Steph Curry. So I guess that's looking pretty good or like the yeah. seventh pick. Um, uh,
0: I, I don't know if people, I don't know if the same rule applies for fantasy basketball, but I know nobody cares about my fantasy football team. Um, exactly. And I'm just going to assume that's the same. I assume here. it's so even we'll, higher we'll, for we'll, basketball. Yeah. We'll keep going. Yeah. Cause no one cares about fantasy basketball in general. <laughs> um, But yeah, we got Portland tonight Uh, outside of that you know, I think this Portland's kind of down bad. Um, and I think that, you know, they're reeling off that heat loss. I I wonder where they're at, you know, I, I think that we don't really have the, I mean, I mean, maybe we can try to put smart on Dame or McCollum, but if both get going, that's probably how they'll win. Uh, just because we don't have that many guys who can stop the bleeding. Uh, but I guess that's the tr- case for everybody. I don't know. Blazers kind of just have been the same team for the last ten years. I don't really know what to, where to go with this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they're just a really confusing team this year. I, yeah. Just because of the record and the net rating, like I've never seen such a drastic <laughs> yeah. like switch like that. Um, but yeah, so we are we are two games above five hundred now, if I'm not mistaken. We're twenty eight and twenty six, seventh in the East, but we're like a game back from the four spot. Um, I think Charlotte, Miami. And one other team just above us. Um, for me, I'm really looking to get into that. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but we got 18 games left. I'm really looking to get into that four or five matchup. Uh, yeah. Avoid one of those juggernauts in the first round. Um, when we face them, uh, make a nice second round appearance this year and a season that looked lost for a big chunk of it. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll tackle that second round opponent from there. Maybe we get lucky. Maybe there's an injury. I don't know. But, Four or five is what I'm looking for, and I'm hopeful that it's not Miami in that four or five hopefully it's like Charlotte or something but yeah our stretch our stretch of games coming up is actually I wouldn't say it's difficult, but our next six or so games uh after our next six games, it gets easy like the last twelve games of the year are basically a cakewalk um it's bottom feeders tanking teams outside of like a miami and a portland appearance uh, so that'll be great hopefully we can go like a 10 and 2 during that stretch but these next six games i think is going to be our last before the playoffs these next six are going to be our last real competition i want to say that i don't want to disrespect these teams but our last you know stretch of tough basketball coming up we got portland we have la thursday night i don't believe either i know lebron probably won't be back i don't know if ad will be either i think they're planning on returning the same night actually um and then we get golden state saturday night they're in absolute shambles right now um hopefully that should be an easy enough win um if you can neutralize steph and he doesn't drop 40 on you you should be able to beat golden state um even if he does drop 40 you probably can still beat golden state (laughs) um but yeah, and then we have Chicago, Phoenix, Brooklyn, and then it's a cakewalk. Um, I'll be really interested to see where we are in that Brooklyn matchup, Friday, April twenty third. I know I'm jumping way far out here, but that's like probably the big game circled left in the season. It's at Brooklyn. I assume Harden will be back by then. That might be, you know, we'll be facing the big three of Brooklyn, and we'll see where we're at from there. And we have Phoenix right before that. Those will be a couple of really on a back to back too. Um, those will be a couple of really good measuring games, but. Yeah, I'm starting to get really
0: optimistic about this team going forward. Sorry, I thought you were done talking. (laughs) Uh, Tristan Thompson had a quote recently where it was like, uh, regular season seeding doesn't mean shit. And the Cavs, we were the fourth seed and got to the finals every year. And I just want to take that energy with me because that was nice to hear. Like, as much as I kind of am, eh, when I look at the standings, uh, it's nice to think that it's nice to share Tristan's confidence that we might have some sleeping giant potential on our hands to close the season, that maybe we're much better than our record says we are.
1: Well, we only have that sleeping giant potential if
0: we're at the four or five seed.
1: Okay. We don't
0: want six, seven or eight. Yeah, exactly. I think that's so. once we get there, um, I just want to try to come in with that irrational confidence that Tristan embodied.
1: Yeah. I think a four or five with Miami would be cool as fuck, man. The Eastern conference, uh finals rematch to you know one of us gets to go face one of these three juggernauts who do you think we match up worst against amongst those juggernauts
0: i think we talked about this last time i i, I really think uh nets and bucks are who i don't want to face i i know philly is has the is the one seed um i just feel like we can do things i guess uh Maybe we can not, do actually. things now. Now that I'm thinking about it, actually, it means
1: dropping 40 every because time. Exactly, man.
0: exactly. That's just gonna happen. Because I was like, you know, Nets and and Bucks are just like, you know, Bucks can answer us in every way defensively with um, the stuff they've been trying this year. Nets, we have no way of stopping them. Sixers, yeah, kind of. I guess I don't want to. You know, I feel like they're a little bit more. They're not, though. They're a really good defensive team. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> we're, we're probably fucked no matter who we play.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think we match up. I wish one of these teams we matched up good against, but I think we match up pretty poorly against all <laughs> Yeah, of
0: them. never mind. I tried to, like, do the thought exercise in real time, and I guess I'm just used to thinking Philly's an okay matchup when that's no longer the case. Yeah.
1: All right, Scott, you got anything else for everyone? Anything Celtics, anything ball-related, anything you want to talk about?
0: Um, I've kind of been watching Celtics games. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this piece about like how you don't necessarily need this, like, uh, high usage, high playmaking usage guard. If you have enough crowdsourced playmaking and quick ball movers around someone like, uh, Tatum and Brown, I kind of think that's the case now with the Clippers, you know, everyone wanted them to get like Kyle Lowry or Chris Paul or something. But I I think they'll be okay, um, even with Rondo, just because they have so many smart ball movers that make the jobs of their two star scores a little bit easier. So uh, that's kind of uh, a a new concept I'm kicking around is like, you know, different ways to approach uh, building around a Kawhi or a Paul George or a Tatum without that, you know, high usage guard next to them
1: not a lot of teams go that route. You know, it's not a lot of teams you see out there with two high usage wings that are Mm -hmm. like championship. I mean, you obviously you could probably say the bulls uh, in the nineties.
0: That's such different though. Like, you know, you can kind of hack it, you know, and obviously Jordan was one or two, depending on how you ask and the player rank and all all time. But uh, I feel like maybe, you know, Paul George and Kawhi would have been more than fine in the nineties. But we're seeing how, how high-powered offenses are nowadays that to just like have them ISO and do a lot of that stuff and, and run the triangle or whatever they did uh, in, in the Bulls, uh, it doesn't quite cut it in terms of like the efficiency bar you need to get to on a possession-to-possession possession basis. Um, so I think the complaint for both of these teams is they don't have enough, you know, passing, enough playmaking to get themselves to that bar, but they've kind of found weird ways to do it without like making any major acquisitions.
1: I'll tell you what, if they, if they just fuck around and shoot 43% from deep for the rest of the season and the playoffs, nobody's going to beat them.
0: Who's Uh, the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. They've been ridiculous this year.
1: (laughs) They've been absurd. Um, all right. So everyone, thanks for listening. It means a ton. Uh, give us a like and review or rating and review on Apple podcasts. If you got the time, if you don't mind, it really helps us out. And check out Sense of Scalability. Uh, they just dropped a new episode yesterday by the time you're listening to this. Um, I have not listened to it yet. I'm excited to. They have the great Joe Holbert on. He's incredible. Check out Premium Hoops. Me and Mark are just dropped an episode yesterday as well. Um, kind of doing a new weekly roundup of the NBA. We're looking for a cool little theme to do as well, like a movie theme or a drink theme for our segments. But, yeah, have a good rest of your day and peace.